Okay, so I hope you can hear me a little bit better here. Um, I didn't introduce myself at the back. I'm sure Jar has said my name a few times already. My name is Patrick, um, and I work in in Dublin here for quite a long time now. Um, so, just as we were walking along here and coming down, coming down the steps, you've travelled back about 1,500 years ago. And what I'm, what I'm going to try to do, apart from telling you about the three different settlements that make up Dublin, I'm going to also try and create a picture in your head of what the medieval world would have looked like. Okay, so what I want you to imagine is Dublin being a river running alongside us here and two fields beside it. So a field on each side and a river running through it and each of the three settlements that we go to will be adding another piece of the jigsaw in. So eventually you, we will get to about the 1500s when we're finished and then you're going to have to imagine it as it is today because we've only got an hour and a half and I, if, we were, if I was doing it all we'd be here till about 9 or 10 o'clock tonight. So you'll get, you'll get a vision in your head um, of how Dublin was formed originally and eventually how it becomes the capital city. But where you are now, and significantly we've walked down steps, so it feels like we're going back in time, and we are. We've gone back now to about the 5th or the early 6th century. Um, they believe this is the most ancient site in Dublin. So everything originated from this spot. They should put an X here saying this is the spot. So every, everything, all the expansion of Dublin, which can go now as far as Kildare, one of the surrounding counties, down the surrounding towns, it expanded from this spot. Now, what I want you to think is of Ireland. Ireland has got four provinces, and I mean by four provinces, Ireland is split into four provinces, um, Connacht, Ulster, Leinster and Munster. Okay, and within these, um, during the glaciation, when, when the world started to defrost, for want of a better word, they left um, routeways. So when the ice retreated, they left sort of muck um, and stone was left behind in mounds of earth. Okay? And what the people back then did was they used these mounds to get themselves around the four provinces. Okay, so where I'm from, I'm from Munster. So if I wanted to come up to Dublin, I'd have to get on one of these routeways, or eskers they're known as, and I'd walk all the way to Dublin. If I'm from Connacht, you do the same. If you're from Ulster, you do the same. If you're from Leinster, you do the same. It's the only way of getting around Ireland, because Ireland is completely covered in a forest. So you don't want to go into those forests, trust me. They've got wolves, They've got grizzly bears. Um, I was in Alaska a few years back and they done DNA testing on the grizzly bears there and they say the DNA traces back to Ireland. So a lot of the, the bears that are in Alaska, so bears that were here in Ireland migrated over to Alaska. So you don't want to be going through the woods. You definitely don't want to meet a grizzly bear or a wolf at any, any time soon. So you got to use these routeways to get yourself around. Okay? The River Liffey at this point is at its most narrowest as well. If you think of O'Connell Street, think of the spire in O'Connell Street up as far as Trinity College is underwater. Okay, that's how wide the River Liffey is. So when you come up to here, it narrows a little bit. So it's perfect conditions to put your bridge across and start charging people crossing. So you're coming in, so you've got two routes coming here, you've got one here, and you've got one here. And as I said, eventually people cop onto this and they set up a settlement here. 
and the bridge that they put across is known as Ot Clea, which gives us our first settlement for Dublin. Now, if you ask a lot of people, they think Ot Clea translates into Dublin. It doesn't. It translates into Ford, which is a bridge of the hurdles. So you're hurdling the river to get across. So Ot Clea, our very first settlement, is Ford of the hurdles. Now the Balia that comes into Balia Ahuclea comes in when the Normans arrive and we finally give the, the settlement here and a town. It becomes a town. So now you have town of the Ford of the Hurdles, which is Balia Ahuclea. Okay, that's our very first settlement and it comes from these guys who's realized that these four routeways in the provinces all meet here. So everybody going anywhere in Ireland, if they wanted to go a quick route, they come this way. Even I'm from Kerry, I, when I go home to Kerry, which is on the other side of Ireland, I'm still going out this direction to go back to Munster. The, the motorways in Ireland still follow the same patterns of these. We don't see these eskers anymore. You see a little bit down in Clonmac Noise, if you've ever gone to Clonmac Noise, but generally they've been levelled out. But the motorways today are still following the same directions, the same patterns that be, these people followed back in the late 5th, early 6th. So when you look up here, we can't really see outside the gate here, do you see the, the red brick building? Mm -hmm. It's an apartment block, but when we're heading up there you just see peeking out at the corner part of the original medieval wall. Now back in the 1700s for some reason, well the, the Georgians decided they wanted wider streets so they could promenade up and down with their carriages. But that's no good for the medievalists because they had to take down the walls. They built um, O'Connell Street like that. If you're on O'Connell Street, it's that wide so that the Georgians could promenade up and then come back down the other side. But they had to take out a lot of the medieval walls where there's a little part there um, at the corner. If you see this building here, it's not a very great looking building, a gray looking building on the corner. Mm -hmm. That's where Newgate stood. So if you've been into the exhibition already in Dublinia and you went into the fair, the big large gate that's built at the back is Newgate. So the fair would have just been over where that red brick building would have been. Okay, and the wall would have continued all the way along here. You see it here, the modern reconstruction of the wall. If we have time at the end, I'll bring you down and show you that part of the wall. So it connects up all the way around here. And when we go over to Dublin Castle, we're going to see another part of it. Okay, so that's the first settlement, Ot Clea. It comes from the crossing on the River Liffey. Okay, the next people to come along is, um, is the Christianity and the monks, and they're trying to convert people. So on this site, before St. Audience Church, before the stone building that you see here, they believe Colum Kale would have had a church here. Um, and if you're trying to convert people, there's no point putting yourself in the middle of nowhere because your conversion rates are going to be quite low at the end of the year if there's nobody else there. So if you're trying to convert people from these people in Otkile would have been considered pagans and um, would have been um, not Christian. So when the monks come in they're trying to convert these people so you have to put just your wooden church beside them so you can meet them every day and you can sort of show them the new religion that is coming in. What you're looking at here is St. Audience Church. It's built about 1190. When the Normans arrive um, in 1169, they start building everything in stone. So in about 1190, this church is built. Um, it comes from Ouan or Rouen in France. Um, and that's how we get Audience, 
So what we have now on this site is St. Audien's church built in the in the 1190s. A lot of the things that we're going to see, that, like Dublin Castle, um, Christchurch Cathedral and St. Audien's are all Norman structures. So anything that is before that, anything like Cullum Kill's wooden church is not here anymore. Anything like the Vikings, not here anymore. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you that story when we get to the to the Vikings, okay? So that's number one settlement. We're now gonna move forward about 100, 200 years to the next settlement, which will be over at Dovlin, and that's the monastic settlement when Christianity now arrives into Dublin. So now we're here. This is the second settlement, okay? So just to give us our bearings again, we started out with a river running through with two fields on each side. And then we put in the the four routeways meeting at that point and some sort of a settlement at Autclea. Okay? When we get to the second settlement, we don't know how much of the first settlement is there. Okay? But what might give us an idea is if you're a Christian monk and you're trying to convert people, you have to put yourself somewhere near another settlement. So it's quite possible that there is some sort of a settlement still at Autclea when the monks arrive to this spot. Okay? That's our only sort of, if we're trying to connect the two settlements. So we're, we've come forward about another maybe 100, 150 years. We're heading towards the end of the 6th, the early 7th century. And in the area behind me here, behind this castle, you see this more modern looking building behind? That's Dunn Store's headquarters or one of our big supermarkets in Ireland. Um, on that site, when they done excavations, they found a couple of Viking warriors, but we'll come back to the Viking warriors in a few minutes. On that site, they also found part of a, a round tower. Does any, do we all know what round towers are? In Ireland, we have a lot of round towers built probably in the 7th, 8th, 9th century. They were circular towers, then went right up, and they had a, a cone shape on the top. So they believe they found one here on this site, and probably a beehive hut. A beehive hut um, is like a, has a circular top on the mound, and that's where the monks used to live in at night time, or sleep in at night time. And then they probably had a, a small square church. A lot of the early churches in Ireland were just square. Um, a bit like St. Patrick's Bell. St. Patrick's Bell, if you've seen that up in the National Museum, is a square shaped as well. It's very simple churches. Um, and there would have been a circular enclosure going around that. Okay? Now, we cannot see anything of what I've just described to you here. This is why you need a little bit of imagination and from the archaeology we can start painting a picture of what it looked like. Okay? Um, the street pattern around here is in a circular enclosure. So if you walk around those streets, Whitefriar Street, Anger Street, it still follows the circular enclosure of the monastery. Okay? Now where we're standing, amazingly there's no building on it. This is a piece of a grassland in the middle of the city. Very unusual. And it's unusual because they can't build on it, thankfully. The city council can't build on this because below us is a river and it's too soft. They'd have to go very far down to put a building on this. And this is the only reason why it's exposed today. It's known as the Dovlin, the Dovlin Gardens. Because the river, one of the, one of the rivers that runs in, River Liffey runs along this way here, and the river Poddle flows off it. The river Poddle comes from this direction, and it joins in with the river Liffey this way. Okay? When the two of them meet, when they hit off each other, both of them are dragging muck 
and dirt. So when you look into there, there's a pool that's formed here. It's this, with the, the Liffey meeting the Podnam. When you look into it, it looks black. And black in Irish is dove. And pool in Irish is lin. So dove lin. Now if you say that a few times, you'll eventually get to Dublin. Dove lin, dove lin, dove lin, dove. Okay? And so that gives us our second name. So the monastery that was located here became known as the Dove Lynn Monastery because it's facing the pool. I mean, they just there's a turn off. If you go out that way, there's an AIB bank on the corner, and they walked through the gate of the castle. That's the way the puddle comes in. So it comes directly into here, and it meets, or the Liffey comes directly into here, and it meets the puddle. This is Ireland. So that's the scientific explanation. But in Ireland, we like to put a more, a, a bigger, a, a dramatized, embellished story around it. So the story goes there's a woman called Dove and she had long black hair. Now, she was married to somebody at the time, but for, she didn't want to stay married to him and started making friends with the guy next door. Now, when her husband found out about it, Dove was having relations with the man next door. And when the, the townspeople found out about it, they ran after her. And she came running up to here, and she fell into the pool, and she drowned. Remember the long black hair? Yeah. So when you look into the pool now, you see the black hair going around. And that's how we get Dove's pool. So you can go, you can go with the scientific story of the, the muck meeting each other, which is more than likely. Um, or you can go with the nice story about Dove. With the monastery here, and how we know that the monastery has gotten very popular, has a lot of converts, is that it starts to attract a lot of outside attention. And the outside attention comes from the famous Vikings that come from Norway. When they were also digging that site, they found three skeletons. They're known as the Brothers in Arms. We know they're three warriors. We know they're three Viking warriors. We know they came from Norway. We know they had their last meal in Scotland because of what they found in, this, in their stomach. Um, and we have, if, if you're anywhere near Dublinia in September, one of the warriors is always in Dublinia. We call him Gunnar, um, but we've done renovations recently, so the, the museum took away our skeletons, but he's coming back, he's coming back in September. So if you are back and around Ireland again, come back to Dublin, you'll get to, see, you'll get to see Gunnar. Because the monastery is here, that's what is attracting the Vikings to this area. Now the dating, when they dated the bones, they died in the early 800s. Okay, so the monasteries here, late 6th, 7th century, they're here about 100 years, and then the Vikings start to arrive. The River Liffey is also known as the Ruerchok, or in English, the tempestuous one, the stormy one. When you look at the Liffey today, it's boring, because we've controlled it. Remember I said it was as wide as the spire to Trinity College, it was wild. It was very hard to navigate boats up in the medieval period. So when the Vikings came up the River Liffey, in order to moor their ships, they, they, the river turns and they come in here to the river puddle. Whenever a river turns, it slows down. So it's easier for them to moor their ships. So they came in around here by the AIB bank and came in here and moored their ships around here. And they're attracted obviously by the monastery and that's probably why we're finding Gunnar and the other two Viking skeletons is because they believed there was some sort of formal graveyard or cemetery there, which means they could have fought a battle somewhere else and they came back and they buried them here. 
So we, we take this area as the first place now that the Vikings stayed. Now when we get over to Wood Key, I'll tell you the next part of that. So Vikings are here and then we'll get to the next part where they settled when we get over to Wood Key. But if you turn around and look at this, the castle, forget about the coloured part. I don't know what the, the painters are doing inside Dublin Castle, but that's got nothing to do with us today in the medieval period. But the tower in front of you is what we're looking at. You remember we finished up in St. Audien's, the arrival of the Normans in 1169. They were big stone builders and they built um, Henry II, um, who was the King of England at the time. He came to Dublin. Um, and because the River Liffey and the Poddle meet here, it gave them a natural moat on one side. You know what a moat is that goes around the castle? And they put a drawbridge down. This gave them a natural moat on this side, and this is up on high ground as well. So they chose this site to put a wooden palace for Henry II, and when Henry II went home, they built a stone castle. And this tower, there's only one of the towers remaining. There would have been four of these, one on the, one on the far end and two on the other side. And in the middle, if you've passed City Hall, the entrance into Dublin Castle that way would have had a drawbridge on it. And the castle is just two towers on each side and the wall's in. Now, what you're looking at today is a much, much later, even 16th, 17th century, 18th century, of all the buildings we cited and then they've decided to paint it in these very odd colours but anyway the medieval part that we're looking at is the stone part here and that brings us right back swinging back around again to the Normans. Now when we finish with the Vikings um, over at Wood Quay I'll tell you the, the last little bits about the Normans. So we're doing a, we're doing a few things here now we're do, we did our first settlement, we've done our second settlement here, but have also put in the Vikings here that have come to this area, and we've also talked about the Normans. But the important part of the whole tour is the three settlements. So we've got one, Oatclea, number two is Dovlin. We'll see what the Vikings call Dovlin when we get to Woodkey. But this is our final settlement. Um, this is where the Vikings established what we had seen over at the Dovlin Gardens when they originally came here in the early 800s, they would have pulled in, um, but at that point, the Dovlin Pool, where the Liffey meets the Poddle, and probably just set up tents on the side of the, the river and used the Liffey down here to go and raid a lot of the monasteries down in Kildare and then came back to here. And that's probably where Gunnar and his, the other two died with him and they buried him on that site. And this is early 800s. In 841 they say that the Vikings overwintered for the first time um, in Dublin. We think that's over there at the site at, at Dovlin. When we get to this site in 917 when we get into the 10th century this is where they settled and we know this because back in the 1970s um, there was, the, the, if you see the buildings, we'll call them buildings because we'll be nice today, we'll call them buildings. The City Council wanted to build moved they didn't have enough room where they were so they picked a site here to build a new brand new building and it had much more room now the archaeologists and the historians particularly out in ucd knew that this was a very very significant viking site in the early 1960s they had done a couple of test trenches down there to test the site to see but then they didn't have enough money to dig the rest of the site so it was always common knowledge that this is a very significant Viking site. Now, City Council choosing this site means that there's money for digging. 
So it's kind of the catch-22 for archaeologists. They need modern development to go into an area, build a modern building, but at the same time they know at the end of it that the archaeology is going to be torn apart. So it's a catch-22 situation. But at the end of the 1970s, archaeologists and historians, um, men like F.X. Martin, who set up the Friends of Medieval Dublin, um, tried to bring the city council to court. They lost. They decided to occupy the site. It became known as Operation Citric. They occupied the site for a period of time. The builders were in, even whilst they were there. Um, and eventually, the government and the National Museum used a loophole to get them to be able to build their building here. And the archaeologists were given three years to dig on this site. Now, what they find, what they found can never be underestimated. It was the largest Viking settlement found in Europe, still to this day the largest ever, because what they found was 200 houses over level. So after about 20 or 30 years, a Viking would knock his wooden house and build another house on top of it. So imagine over multiple layers we found 200 houses. Now the archaeologist at the time, his name was Pat Wallace, he said that the grass was still growing on the site. You could smell the grass, you could smell the moss. They found the houses, look at the imprint, just back up a little bit there, you'll see the imprint of a house that you're standing on. It's a rectangular shape and it's got these raised platforms on the side. The raised platforms on the side was for eating during the day and sleeping on at night. The bit, that this, the rectangular bit that's in the centre is the heart and that's where the fire, that's where they were getting all of their heat. Now they, they would have had a thatch, a thatch roof and you have an opening here. The Viking style houses that are found here are not typical of what you find elsewhere in Norway or Sweden or Denmark. They're much, much bigger. They had multiple rooms, but there's not enough space here in Dublin to have multiple rooms because there would be a wooden fence between this house, which is what they found, and then another house beside us. They had the houses, they had the wattle walls, it's made from wattle up to their knees. They were able to walk in the entrance, the flagstones were still at the entrance, and it was all torn down for the buildings across here. We can get angry and we can get emotional about it, but we wouldn't know about that was there unless they chose that site. So it's a bit of a catch-22. We want to know about it, but we don't want to destroy it. But if you put a building in there, it's going to be destroyed. But we wouldn't know about it, we're probably sitting there and I'd be saying to you, this could be a Viking site. But now I'm able to say to you, it's the largest Viking settlement ever found in the whole of Europe, ever, to this date. If you know, you know Euston Station, where all the trains go across Ireland, where they still follow those routeways that we talked about at St. Audience, they found the largest Viking cemetery in the whole of Europe. But that was in the 1800s. They built the train station on top of it. But in those days, in the 1800s, they don't know the discipline of archaeology, to be fair to them. They just built, they took the skeletons out and they're up in the National Museum, but they never took the context, they never took the soil, so we don't know half the story. But in the 1970s, they should know better. But at the same time, we wouldn't know about these houses unless they decided to build this here. Getting back to our third settlement, Dovlin, the Vikings pronunciation of Dovlin is Diflin, which is D-Y-F-L-I-N-N. They couldn't pronounce Dovlin, so it becomes Diflin. So this site around here becomes Diflin. When we get up, when, 
the, with the Battle of Clontarf, or as we call it now in Dublinia, um, the Battle for Dublin. It's got nothing to do with Clontarf. And if you haven't been in, or you want to go back in, you can read all about that when you get in there. I could be here till five or six o'clock talking about the Battle of Battle of Clontarf. But the main king in the Battle of Clontarf was a man called Citric Silkenbeard. Why do you think he's called Silkenbeard? Vikings like to give themselves nicknames to what they look like or what personality trait they had. So you get a nickname. So Citric Silkenbeard, the Silkbeard. Harold Bluetooth is because he liked blueberries and he had blue teeth. So you call him Bluetooth. Now Citric Silkenbeard, if you look at this structure again behind you, this is Christchurch Cathedral. And again, we're back to the Normans. This is a Norman structure but Citric Silkenbeard back in 1028, 1030 built a wooden structure or a wooden church because the Vikings, even the Vikings, had now converted to Christianity. So they brought, they went from paganism, paganism is all about the nat nature and the land. So when they start going to Christianity, everything is brought inside. So they build a wooden church here. But when the Normans arrive in 1169, they tear the wooden church down and you get to see what's in front of us now. So we're back to the Normans building stone. So St. Audience is stone, Christ Church is stone, St. Patrick's Cathedral is also built in stone. So the vision in your head for here, take away those buildings, take away the trees, 200 houses just in the structure like this. Fishamble Street, the street that's across from us here, would have been the Henry Street or the Grafton Street of the Viking world. Would have been very busy going up and down there. It's their main shot. You know Henry Street? Grafton Street? You know Grafton Street? That's the Grafton Street of the Vikings. Would have been very, very busy. Um, down at the very bottom, they're building their boats. Up at the very, very top, there's different other shops, jewelry shops, amber workshops, things like that. So the height of activity is over on that side for the Vikings. Unfortunately now, when the, medi the medieval walls were torn down, all the attention has pushed towards Grafton Street as the main shopping thoroughfare and Fishamble Street, or Fish Market, Fish Shambles is the market, um, is, isn't quite as busy as it used to be. Look, it is busy now with, look how many tours are here telling us all about the Vikings. I told you three settlements, Aut Clea, Ford of the Hurdles, becomes Balia Ahaclea when the Normans arrive. So it becomes town of the Ford of the Hurdles. We saw the monastery over at Dublin Castle. It was the River Poddle and the River Liffey meeting each other. Dove is, bla is black in Irish. Lynn is pool in Irish. Dove Lynn. When we came here, the third settlement, the Vikings pronunciation of Dove Lynn is Diflin. The fourth name for Dublin, Dublinia. That's the Norman, the Latin name for Dublin. So that's where our name comes from in Dublinia. Now when we talked about the wall, you remember Newgate that we talked about over at St. Audience Church? The wall would have continued across here and the River Liffey would have come right up to the walls. So I'm going to bring you down to the, the longest part of the original medieval wall that we have left. Okay, so this is the longest stretch um, of what's left of the medieval wall here in in Dublin and um, it continues there part of the building the civic offices they found another part of the wall if you want when you you can go back that way down at the very bottom underneath where the creches or where the, the small kids to be during the day you can see and the part of the wall goes under the building and then it connects up with Dublin Castle 
goes all the way. We walk the a stretch of it when we come out of Dublin Castle, um, and it comes all the way around to Newgate, where we started out. If we go up these steps, it's where we started the tour earlier on. So we've gone a full, full circle. When the Vikings came here first, and when they were building the, their the site at Wood Key, they put a, a palisade to protect themselves. Now, a wooden palisade is a mound of earth, and then wooden stakes put into the earth all the way around to protect them. As, they, as time progressed, and as we head into the 10 hundreds, they started building it in stone, very crude version of stone. And when the Normans came in, they built this into stone. Now, the top of it is heavily restored, so it's no good to us in the medieval. But down at the very, very bottom, you can still see parts of what the original wall. And when they excavated here, there's more underneath here. What, when the Normans built the stone wall, you can see what date does it say up there? 1240. 1240 kinda, when I started doing these tours a long time ago, it used to have 1220 up there. So the city, city council is a bit, little bit confused over their dates. Originally, it would have started um, when King John came to Dublin in 1204, he gave a charter to Dublin, and within the charter, he said they could build a castle. Okay, and everybody was delighted this is what they were getting onto, but they never got around to doing it. And in 1209, sort of to the south of the city in Ranelagh, Connellswood, there was a Corpus Christi parade around Easter, and there's about four or five hundred people out parading from the people within, within the, the Liberties, say. Um, and the O'Burns and the O'Tools, two of the families hiding up in the mountains, came down and slaughtered them all. Um, and it becomes known as the Black Monday Massacre. And somebody piped up, okay, maybe we should start building our castle then. So in 1209, they start building Dublin Castle and they start building these walls that you see today. They finish it about 1240, so that's probably what they're trying to get at here is that it's the, the end date rather than the, the start date. Now what the Normans always also did is that I'm up here and I stand up here on purpose because in the medieval period you're all underwater. The Liffey came right up to the walls here and there was no opening in this gate until the Normans came here. The Vikings had their boats down here at the bottom of Vishamble Street because the Liffey came right up to here. When the Normans came in they met an opening here because their population, they, the population in Dublin expanded so they needed more space. So what they did was they reclaimed all the land here and they pushed the Liffey back to the way you see it today. Very boring now, it's not the tempestuous one, it's not the stormy one anymore. It comes in and out, it comes in and out and that's it. In the, in the Vikings and the Norman period, you couldn't navigate your boat up. They lost quite a lot of boats coming in to the River Liffey. But the Normans decided to reclaim all of this land here. And the way they did it is, they got big wooden sleepers known as revetments, like the sleepers on the train that we saw them using on the bridge at Auclea, and they dug them into the ground and pushed the Liffey out and then filled this whole area in with rubbish and muck and everything and reclaimed this land. So the audience, the school, this is a school across the road, they still have problems whenever it rains heavily, the tide will still come in and they flood, it floods in the basement because the Liffey originally came up to, up to here. So what they did was they built another wall running along the Liffey, but they left gaps in the wall. Because now the Liffey is controlled, means you can bring in larger ships. But if you put a whole wall the length of your port, you can't throw the stuff over the wall to get in. You've got to leave openings in the wall. So they put the whole wall along and had gaps. 
so they could get their stuff in. And this is known as Cook Street today. So this is where we believe all the cooks were. So a lot of the, the, the names, Fishamble Street is the Fishamble Street is the fish market. Wine Tavern Street that we walked down is where all the wine the wine taverns were. High Street that runs up along where we started the tour was where all the leather workers used to be. So some of the names will, will point you back to the medieval world. So I hope that gives you an idea. Usually this tour can be two hours, three hours doing this tour and there's a few other stops within it. Today we'd only an hour, an hour and a half or so and we were doing the three main settlements. So now you know the most ancient site of Dublin is is here with Odd Clea, second site Dovlin, the third site Diflin, the fourth site is Dublinia. And as we know today, it goes on to be the capital city of Ireland. And it's, it, it goes on to be the capital city because it's strategically located on the east coast. Because everything is happening in Europe as we would call it today on this side. The capital would never be on the western side of Ireland because you're, for them you're on the edge of the world. So Dublin is a very strategically located and it goes back to those lads up here when they realised that those four natural routeways around Ireland and they put a bridge down, that's where it all starts. And everybody who comes after that, the Christians, the Vikings, the Normans, all put their piece of the jigsaw in here. You remember the jigsaw? River running through the middle and two fields on each side. You get the odd clear putting their piece of the jigsaw in here you get the monks putting their Dovlin site in, you get the Vikings making their mark, and then you get the Normans making their mark. And the Normans make Dublin into an international trading post. And it becomes a very significant place. And eventually, it goes on to be the capital city. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you.